Now we have to make sure we can pay for our groceries. SongTrust removes the complexity of the publishing landscape and offers detailed access to data otherwise not directly available, helping songwriters, artists, producers, managers, publishers, labels, lawyers, distributors, and more simplify music rights management and the administration of music publishing assets, performing rights, and digital licensing. SongTrust provides solutions for corporate clients, including CD Baby, Downtown Music Publishing, The Orchid, Symphonic, and Sub Pop Publishing. You want to be sure and visit songtrust.com forward slash pubcast to take advantage of their 20% off the one-time registration just for listening to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. And now let's get on with our episode. Welcome to the Sync episode of the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. Our guest is Wendy Duffy. She's the CEO and founder of her own company, Resonant Music Licensing and Artist Management. Today, we not only learn about the field of sync placement, but Wendy's deep passion for her role. Welcome aboard, Wendy. Oh, thank you. We're going to talk about all things sync today. We're going to do some overview, do some deep dive in, kind of hopefully answer a lot of questions uh, so many of you seem to have about this one subject. Because if, if there's one part of publishing I find that has a lot of questions attached to it, it's sync. What is it? How do you get into it? How do you define it? What kind of music works in it? So... We're going to just jump in there, but before we get really cranking, Wendy, you want to give us a little background on yourself? Sure, sure. Um, like you said, my name is Wendy Duffy, and I'm the CEO and founder of Resonate Music here in Nashville. You know, I don't think you have time for my whole background here, <laughs> but I did get my start in radio out of college. Um, I've worked in everything from radio to public relations to broadcasting. I've worked in voiceover management for six years in Los Angeles, and um, I even worked on music grow a little bit when I first moved to Nashville, working for American Country Countdown when Kix Brooks took it, took it over and helping kind of sell that to affiliates, ABC affiliates. And then I worked for a small label for a little while. And I also was a songwriter, singer-songwriter, shocker, Nashville. Hey, Can't believe that. We all have it at heart, don't <laughs> um, we? But yeah, music definitely is has always been in my blood and something that I wanted to do more of. And I think all those stops along the way and the, on the business side of things were really helpful in incorporating kind of where I saw my path going, um, not so much as an artist, but being a champion of artists. And management and development is something that I've really found was my passion. And so after managing talent in LA for a company called Cope Management, where we sold voices for network promos and trailers, which you can kind of see as we'll get to later, my evolution into bringing my love for music and developing talent into what Resonate is today. And I joined a company in Nashville called IV. It was an audio company that specialized in audio branding. Some of that was voiceover casting. Some of that was music supervision, music licensing, uh, music production. So I joined that company in 2013. Wow. And I was doing voiceover casting. I was going after new business. And after a couple months, a lot of my client base in Los Angeles weren't really interested in buying audio branding campaigns. They were interested in licensing music because they just needed stuff quick and fast. And so I went to Steve and said, hey, you know what? I think we should have a licensing division. And Steve was very busy doing consultancy and things like that as well. Audio consultancy and helping brands develop their sound from basically the inception 
of a campaign versus at the end, you know? And so he was like, if you want to start it, go ahead and start it. And so I started a licensing division there, and I met some really wonderful talent along the way, which inspired me to develop a management company on the side with an artist by the name of Circina. And she was doing pop electronic music with Built by Titan, Fred Williams here in Nashville. And I was just really blown away at her talent. So I launched a management thing on the side. And after a couple years of licensing growing, Steve wasn't as interested in the licensing aspect as he was the core competency of both brand and audio branding. And so I broke off and took the licensing into Resonate Music full-time with my management client. And that was in April of 2016. So I've been functioning as a music licensing and management company full-time since April of 2016. Let's just start with how you view Sync, because I think you have some interesting viewpoints on it, other than just a kind of a, a land grab or a way to, to, to boost some income. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think of it as a silo of income, and it's becoming um, probably more of an important silo of income as other revenue streams are becoming diminished over time. And sometimes I think people get very nervous about that, but I think the music business is going to continue to evolve, and there will be new silos that we don't even realize that we have access to right now. And I also think that those things will will blow up to become bigger on a lot of levels. But what we're talking about right now is the sync piece. I think that when it first started becoming really big in the late 2000s, it seemed like it was happening before that, but this is when people really started to take notice. That's when 10 of Tennessee, I was living here in Nashville, working as a publicist, and things really started to blow up. And I think it started as songs on albums that weren't great for radio. Songs that could go on and have another life in licensing, in sync licensing. And I think that people started to, you know, have revenue streams coming from that. But I think what it did is it was a platform for artists to grow and build a fan base. And I think a lot of fans went on to, or excuse me, a lot of artists went on to sell a lot more music, whether it was through streaming or albums or touring or everything else. So they had all these other revenue streams that were basically coming from growing that fan base through sync. And then over time, people started to want to access that silo. People wanted to access that revenue stream, right? So people started doing more writing for sync. And I think in the beginning and still, there's a misconception about writing for sync as jingle or less than or not as important. But I think if people do it well, like you and I were talking about, a song that we both had a lot of success with, with your writer at the time, Blake Bollinger and Sam Tenez. Um, they had written it for something else. It didn't go. And then it ended up doing very well um, in several placements that we both got to see the very success successful, of that. Yes. Um, hold on for your life. And I think... You know, using that as an example for you and me talking about it is why that song is special is there is an emotion. There's an authentic emotion that I feel personally when I see it against picture, but also when I listen to that song and being an avid music listener my entire life and a music lover, music has to make me feel something. And when I feel something and I have goosebumps, I know that that can translate to picture. So I feel like right then is when you know you have something special. Is this a universal message? And I think you can go back to even the Beatles. I mean, so much of the Beatles catalog from a universal thematic standpoint 
is sync. You know, is good for sync because it's a universal message. Brought up two things, but I want to ease into the. It is a way and a place that can launch careers. You, you made that clear, and so I'm gonna maybe have two questions in here because you are servicing the industry as well as uh, going to those that need the use of music. What are those that are placing the music, the supervisors looking for, and that kind of thing? Because you mentioned artists and building a brand. Do they tend to lean into certain? writers or sounds or artists and and what do you see that play as well as on your end when you hear something you go i know i can build a brand around this what does that kind of look like does that make sense those are two kind of questions yeah i guess let's let's tackle the music supervisor first you know i think it's about i'm very much a service business so i'm not as much in the business of acquisition or ownership i'm a service business so very much like a management company or a pr firm or or something like that, but it's geared toward development of artists as well. And so I think that you have to also cultivate those relationships with your music supervisors to build trust, to become a great service for those people. And so I think it's always about asking questions, what your music supervisors are looking for and connecting dots and noticing trends. Um, I'm a big researcher. I love it. And I love strategic approach. I I'm not against reactive action, but I am more of a proactive action person. And I believe that because it comes from an innovative place. You know, you have to sit down and you have to think, you have to connect the dots, you have to do the research. And I love that approach with my music supervisors. So I really believe that Resonate's been to grow, been able to grow at the rate that it has because of my passion for that. And then I think that that's also attracted, you know, more and more talented artists. So with the music supervisor, it's connecting dots and asking questions. And I think on the other side of it, going back to, hearing a talent or a voice or a song and going, I'm connecting those things. You know what I'm saying? So I'm knowing what my, my music supervisors need and that's in my mind. And then I hear something that someone's doing or building or growing. And I want to be a part of that because I believe I'm a liaison between those two things. Well, that's great. I want to touch back, go back just a hair. You said you do research. So if I'm a new publisher and for any of the independent publishers out there, Without having to give up any of your, you might have some special sauce in there you don't want to reveal. <laughs> but when you say that, what do you mean? Do you like research what tends to be trending in the in the music scene or or what seems to be going on in the, because I'm a big fan and I get when I'm talking to my writers on writing songs, I said, take a look at the environment that we're in, like what's going on in the world. You can see if the world's really heavy, they don't want heavy songs. You know, sure. if there's a lot going on or... If everybody's kind of in a good mood, sometimes they want a contemplative song. Yeah, I think that a little bit of everything. I mean, I wouldn't put it on one specific thing. I don't think I'm giving anything away. I think some of it is looking at what type of programming are we consuming, okay? And we talk about Netflix and Hulu and ABC and, you know, Showtime and HBO. What are the shows that are becoming successful? What kind of music are they using? And then you can dial it down even to, you know, the supervisor. And then you start noticing trends. Like you you notice the trends. I think looking at top 40 is very important uh, specifically because in certain supervision 
outlets, let's say, you know, you're working with a trailer house, what they're coming for, coming to you for often, you notice trends, okay? And you start to be able to identify those trends through time. And some of it's like actually doing the homework and some of it is just through experience. And so I think a lot of things, you know, there's also a website called TuneFind, which is like fantastic. You can go look up any show right now. And lots of people know about this in the industry. It's definitely not. I just yeah. came across it the other day looking for the playlist for Dead to Me. It's but, awesome. Yeah. I mean, I watch stuff. I Shazam it all the time. I'm like, what did they use? Or if I was up for a project and we didn't win it, um, you know, we didn't get that sync. I always want to see what they used. Why? Why does it work? What does that song do that my song didn't? And I think that it's such a learning process all the time. I'm constantly learning and there's always a shift of people. I think it makes it kind of exciting actually, because the more you learn, the more you're able to assist and and become a better service. We all know that there's advertising, music used in there. We know there's advertising for TV that can, as we just define, is rather broad right now with mm -hmm. so many different things. And then, as you mentioned, you have the theatrical movie theater, movie type. And so- they're pretty interspersed. Do they work kind of similarly? Do they tend to be kind of looking at the same themes or the same music kind of work? Or is it a broad, each one kind of has its own specialty, so to speak? I think there's definitely crossover. Every now and then I'll be like, wow, this song could work in all three of those lanes. You know, we haven't even touched on TV and film. Um, you know, but let's just look at advertising for a second. Um, I got really my start in advertising because of what I used to do in Los Angeles. I, you know, I built voiceover talent, um, and managed voiceover talent. So I had access to a lot of those people. And so when I started doing the music licensing thing, I just focused on where I had great relationships and I kind of grew from there. And the budgets were really great because they're ad budgets, they're not music budgets. Um, and so I think the consistency comes probably a little bit more on the TV side with commercial, but commercial tends to be a little bit more upbeat and happy, generally speaking. Yeah. I mean, trying very, to get people to buy stuff, getting a right, good mood. It's like your life is going to be better with my product. Right. <laughs> um, I'm going to save you. And I think, you know, you could dive deep into what I believe is really fascinating and learned a lot about this at IV archetypes and, and how, you know, every brand is a specific archetype. Every story is a specific archetype. And when you think about that, that helps you lock in that emotion, which I think is really fascinating. Um, like Kleenex is going to be like the savior, right? Like if you use a clean, like, you know, we're going to help your life be better. And so I think typically speaking, commercial advertising is going to be more about that like uplifting happy and variations of that maybe it's indie rock maybe it's more electronic pop it depends on the brand and then in tv promo you have to tell a story fast so you don't have a lot of time you don't have the luxury it's 30 to 60 seconds and even now 15 second spots so music does a lot of heavy lifting in a short time. So you need to be able to set the tone with the song. And so a lot of times you'll have to have different sections for editors to pull from. And theatrical, I definitely think TV promo and theatrical can cross over. Uh, theatrical marketing would be like the trailer that we're talking about. Because a trailer typically, if it's a full length trailer, you're looking at about two minutes and 20 seconds. And they will typically have about three songs in a trailer because there's different moods, right? We're setting up 
Okay, it's like a mini movie in two t- minutes and 20 seconds. Kind of like a great song in country music, right? Yeah. It's going to tell a big story. So typically they'll use about three different songs to tell that story. There's a lot that goes into pitching songs uh, in, in the sync world. And one of the things I've learned in my history is that they... The users, the music supervisors, and the people that want to use our music needs have certain needs involved here, like ownership, clearance, certain, uh, it needs to be easy for them. Can we touch on just a little bit of that is if somebody's wanting to get into this market and try to start working and, and pitching film and TV, what are some of the really important basic things they should know when they're sending songs to music supervisors? I'll explain in a, an example. Sure. I've sent a song, and then I didn't realize when I sent that song, the guy that was singing the lead vocal on that song actually had a record deal. And so when they came back, I had oh, to go yeah, get okay. that cleared. <laughs> and and then is it? it's not as much of a problem anymore, but and, and sometimes when we do demos here in Nashville, this is Nashville-specific question, and you use session musicians, was that a master? Or if it wasn't, you got to upgrade the demo to make sure it's cleared so when they get it that – Everything's groovy. So I'm talking more of the like actual yeah. like that kind of stuff. Like So yeah, let's talk tech talk. <laughs> tech, tech talk. Um, tech talk. Um, yes, it needs to be mastered. <laughs> um, believe it or not, I've heard that before. Um, will this demo work? No, it will not. Um, in most cases, it will not. Uh, making sure that you have files printed ahead of time, making sure you have the splits worked out, like you and I are talking about. Who owns the master? Who owns the publishing? What are the splits? What are the percentages? Same thing. And so making sure that's ironed out, making sure you have an instrumental mastered. And if you can take it a step further, having TV mixes, which is basically an instrumental with background vocals, um, like non-lyrical vocals, like oohs or ahs or hey, hey, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, People love that. And then also an acapella mix is great to have on hand. And even a step further, if I was telling you to be very prepared, is if you know you're going to be pitching this for sync, make sure that your producer has printed out all the separate STEM files because for trailer and even a lot in television marketing, um, they want to have access to those stems because they may choose to ride something up or pull something down in a a specific part of the trailer or promo. So you want to make sure you have that stuff because there's quick turnaround. And now that we've gotten through the technical side, I really want to touch it back into the artist development side because you mentioned that this is a great vehicle and a way to to grow artists and increase their leverage in, in the marketplace. So can you touch on how that looks for you? Let's kind of put it into two categories, like the developing artist and then also an artist that might be signed to a label where a label may have priorities for the album. You know, hey, we've got this single coming out. We want to push it for sync. A lot of times, I think it's about managing expectation um, when it comes to a label priority. And and I know a lot of people that work at, at labels that are pushing songs for sync licensing. It's very challenging because you can't force sync. So if certain songs aren't working for sync, you can't force it. I think it's really important to identify lanes of a single that may work for sync and target that. But then at the end of the day, it may or may not work in the cut. It may or may not work in the edit. And you may not have access to that in time for the single. 
you know, in time to have those things help leverage that single and the exposure of that single for promotion. Okay, so that's like the label side and the album side. Now let's look at the really exciting side. Um, I you just love lit it. up. I know. I, sh- I mean, it's so exciting to me because you have an a huge opportunity as an independent artist. Do not be discovered because, or excuse me, do not be discouraged um, because you can be discovered with using sync as, as leverage for yourself. If it doesn't fit, let's say you go into a session and you write a song and you're really excited about this song um, and you don't feel like it fits under your brand, but you've worked with a producer who's been releasing albums under his name um, and it could go on his project and feature you. It's called the X. You've crossed sync and streaming together. Okay. And so, you know, taking a hip hop artist and a pop artist and crossing it, having a DJ collaborator with another pop artist crossing it. And I think you could also have that if there's a cinematic brand crossing with a pop artist or a pop artist crossing with a hip hop artist for sync. So that seems like a lot of information, but you have an opportunity as an independent artist to do whatever you want to. And so, Look at who you're writing with, why you're writing, what's the purpose, what's the intention. If it's for your project, make sure that you are going to have a plan for that song. If that song is going to get placed in a big show, make sure that you are releasing it so people can Shazam it and stream it. Um, We placed a song recently in a film. It was the opening credits of a film. And the uh, two producers that worked on the song have a project that they're releasing with another artist that signed to a public deal. And within two weeks, just from that placement in the film, they had a quarter million streams on Spotify. Wow. Now, what if you never released that song? Then you didn't have the audience. What if in a month or two, you have a million streams and you own the master and everything's yours? Why would you let that song sit in a library that's only making you money on a short-term money grab? It's very short-sighted. And a lot of these independent artists don't have managers. They're not thinking about the 360 approach on what they should be doing to release. And I really believe that if you want to write a sync song just for sync, so be it. But really, you're not thinking long term. You're not thinking how to build brands and create a fan base. And I think that is in a very exciting place for independent artists. And I have the privilege to work with so many independent artists right now that are literally footing their own bill from, you know, start to finish and they own their masters and they own their publishing and they are really paving a way for themselves. Um, And they feel like musicpreneurs. They feel like they're steering their car. And I think it puts a lot of control back into the artist's hands and it's very liberating and exciting. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and follow us at AIMP Nashville to keep up with news, events, panels, and even new episodes. The AIMP Nashville Pubcast is created by executive producers Dale Bobo and Tim Hunsey, producer Brandon Harrington, mixing and editing by Casey Porter. Thanks for listening and supporting the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. <laughs>